Are we all uh, rolling here? I'm rolling. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Synthesizers made by Roland. Rock and Rollin' Stewart. Rock and Rollin' Stewart. <clears throat> uh huh. Aw, oh, $20. I wanted. Pie Factory Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another action-packed, side-splitting, laugh-a-minute episode. Uh, oh, gosh. I did this again. That is the intro I used on my last podcast, which I haven't done for about a year and a half. Um, welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Pie Factory Podcast, or the PFP, as we call it. You down with PFP? Yeah, you know me. There we go. So, once again, Morris, Illinois, blah, 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 blah. You know me. I hope you love me more than I would ever know. Uh, this is Jimmy G. And uh, Chicago, kind of Illinois, um, uh, this is the Great Pie Holio. The Great Pie Holio? Pie Holio. Am I threatening you? Oh, by the way, my, my parents know me as Sean. They don't know who the Great Pie Holio is. In fact, nobody uh, knows except those listening to this podcast, uh, this particular episode we're recording this morning. You know what? I think what I'll do, uh, especially for this episode, is instead of doing my uh, butthead impersonation... Uh, I'll do my Homer impersonation. It's not quite as good. Um, <clears throat> uh, the last peanut. <clears throat> yeah, no, it's not quite as good. All right, well, you know what? Better yet, I'll just forget the whole thing. So, um, hey, something I wanted to bring up to you. All this time we've been doing the show, and when we first did the, sh- when we first talked about doing this podcast, we were talking about music, and you said, you know, I got some music here that I'd like you to to check out, and uh, we could use whatever, and the very first one I listened to, you get you gave me like five, six different samples to listen to, and the very first one I listened to was the one that I said, you know what, let's roll with this one. I love this one. I didn't listen to any of the other clips. I just listened to that first one, and I'm like, I absolutely love this one. And now you you know you know it, you love it as the Happy L. All this time, I kept keep thinking the title of that is the Happy Elf. You know, you're not the only one, and that's kind of why when I had our booth announcer re-record the intro, I said, put a little bit of, a tiny bit of emphasis on L. Not only that, but uh, our website now has a cast and crew credits. Oh? So that way, people people who visit our website and look at our credits, I guess, will now know that it is the happy L, the letter L. Oh. Okay, so I have to ask. Okay, all this time, like I said, I thought it was the happy elf, because it does sound like kind of something like a happy elf would, like, dance around to, you know, all of that sort of thing in some sort of a fantasy thing, or very least on Aqua Teen Hunger Force. But the happy L, why the happy L? I've been curious about this since I realized it's not elf. I don't know why, but it kind of makes me think of the Chicago Transit Authority. Not the band that became Chicago, but the actual mass transit organization or lack uh-huh. thereof here in the Windy City. I was wondering, if I'm not mistaken, isn't the technical spelling for that E-L? That's the generic spelling. The generic. I would think L would be more generic. Yeah, E-L is short for elevated train. It refers mm-hmm. to any elevated train, but just the letter L itself specifically refers to um, Chicago's mass transit train system, which is not only elevated, but also subway and street level. Now, do we have anything that references to Chicago's 25 or 6 to 4? That song makes my wife angry. Why is that? 
Because when she learned what the meaning of that oh, title is, she yeah. was so upset that it wasn't something much deeper. Yeah, it's about songwriting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All this time, people keep thinking it was drug use. But if you look at the lyrics, you can sort of see why some people would think it would be about drug use. Anything is about drug use. Or Satan. The Happy L is about drug use, if you really think about it. It's not about drug using Satan? No, it's just just drug use in general. Uh, Just drug use. Oh, and speaking of, like, music things that I, like, do... And this is way, way on on the topic of arcade, uh, classic arcade games, of course. But uh, anybody who's going to be in the Chicago area, mm-hmm. say uh, June 18th, which mm-hmm. is a Saturday. Uh, mm-hmm. Hey, come on by the Old Town School of Folk Music at 4545 North uh, Lincoln Avenue. I think it's 12 bucks. I think that's how much it costs. You'll hear me and a bunch of other people perform all of Pet Sounds. Yeah. So getting, uh, for however much, nervous. what did you say, like 15 bucks? Sean will folk you up. And I will be playing three different guitars. <laughs> Maybe not at the same time. I don't know about that. Oh, you're doing a whole Rick Nielsen thing, huh? Well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it, hey, maybe afterwards I can go over to uh, to Peace and have some uh, pizza over there. It's uh, Rick, the uh, pizza place in uh, 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 Wicker Park that uh, Rick Nielsen co-owns. Rick Nielsen, guitarist of Cheap Trick. Um, I've wanted to go there ever since I found out he owned the place. I'd love to check that place out. I hate thin crust pizza. They have thin crust pizza, and it is my favorite pizza in the city. Really? Yeah. I no, I don't hate thin crust at all. Uh, I there's a, a bit of ribbing, you know, about New York style, Chicago style. But I I just don't hate thin crust. You get a good thin crust, you got a good thing there. Most thin crust I've had. I like crust that's a little bit on the thick side. I mean, I, yeah, I love deep dish too and stuffed, but mm-hmm. I like th- crust. Oh, you that like has a little bit little more bit to the crust. Th- you like it to be more than just a cracker. Yeah. You like your crust a little more bready. Yeah. Well, maybe not so much bready, but just a little bit thickness to give it a little bit of body so it doesn't droop. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And I, I really hate pizza. That's the ultra-thin cracker crust type. We used to, in, oh, when yeah. I was living in Joliet, there was this one place, I can't remember the name of it, but we ordered pizza from there twice, and you were literally eating a saltine with cheese on it. And I'm like, if I wanted cheese and crackers, I'd just run down to the Jewel store and get myself one of them Hormel trays, because that's what it tasted like. And... Thin crust is fine. Don't give me cracker crust. That's that's all I'm saying on that. But uh, I will say this. If you're ever in New York City and you're in uh, the uh, Greenwich Village area, John's Pizza. That's a very popular spot. They used to have one up on the Upper West good. Side, too. Yeah, I heard they used to have multiple locations. But uh-huh. we went there and literally the, for uh, pizza, uh, we got out of there for, we had two large pizzas, uh, a couple of pitchers of drink. There was four or five of us. We got out of there for uh, like 35 bucks. Of course, this is about 15 years ago. But still, I mean, that was, for in the city, that was a really good value. And the pizza was excellent. Hey, you know, I'm not going to knock food if it's good. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I don't really like getting into the whole petty, you know, our food is better than yours, you know, our, my style. But if your city or whatever makes something that is just absolutely amazing, hey, I'll trumpet it to the high heavens because I like good food. And Sean apparently agrees with me because he visited yet another Weber Grill restaurant. Yep. So this makes the second or third one you've been to? Fourth. Fourth? I've been to all three current Chicago area locations. One downtown Chicago, which... Downtown uh, Schaumburg and uh, My job just moved, by the way, and I'm now a block and a half away from uh, the Weber Grill restaurant now. Woohoo! 
So the, yeah, I've been to the one in Schaumburg okay. and the one in uh, what's what's the other one? Um, it's Schaumburg downtown Lombard. Lombard, that's the one, and yeah, that's the only one I've been to. And just the past this past weekend, it was a Memorial Day weekend. My wife and I went to uh, Louisville for Abbey Road on the River because we like the Beatles, and we stopped in Indianapolis, and we're graced with a flat tire. And we had dinner at the Weber Grill restaurant in Indianapolis. And I think it was the guys as at, uh, awesome as it is here. I think the guys at Broken Token are out of Louisville. Hmm, I did not know that. I think so. So now the only Weber Grill restaurant I haven't been to is the one they just opened up in St. Louis. And what kills me is they opened up that one in St. Louis literally the week after my wife and I were there <laughs> last time. That's always the way it is. Hey, and speaking. I know. Speaking of openings, uh, we got uh, something coming up here in the Chicago area. Oh, yeah. Do tell. This is actually arcade-related. I don't remember the uh, actual address. They did just release the address, but in Lyle, Illinois, there is going to be a new pay-one-price-all-you-can-play arcade opening up called uh, Pixel Blast. Why was I thinking Pixel Dust? No, Pixel Blast. 1045 Burlington Avenue. And they are opening up July 1st. And uh, me and Sean are tentatively going to be there for the Open. Um, depends on a bunch of things, but uh, most likely we'll be able to go there and uh, check the place out. Summer Friday of 4th of July weekend traffic, for one thing. My wife's telling me, oh, you're not going to go there because you're never going to get there. I think there's a train station in Lyle, if not near it. We will have to uh, we'll have to check that out, but uh, hopefully oh, yeah. we can arrange some interviews with the people that run the joint. And uh, you'll get their uh, perspective on a few things. So uh, while there are arcades are popping up, they don't open up every day. So this is going to be interesting because this is, I think, the first one uh, since we've started doing this show that we will actually be at uh, for their opening. Um, yeah. A couple of a couple have opened. Uh, Tokens and Tankards in the city opened. We haven't been there yet. What's it called? Uh, t- uh, tokens, Tankards and Tokens or Tokens and Tankards? Uh, I found out about this from uh, uh, King Henry VIII. Oh, that's um, in Mount Prospect, actually. Is it? I thought that was in the city. No. Mount Prospect. Hmm, The company I work for has uh, some facilities up there, so I might have to check that out next time I'm up there, which means it'll probably be about 15 years before I get up there because I never get up there. So, yes, uh, Pixel Blast, me and Sean, um, or Piholio, are tentatively scheduled to to show up there. you know, we're not well. We're not scheduled. It's not like they're making it a, a big event or anything that we're showing up. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna check the place out basically. Hey, forty three uh, people likely. are going so far. So ninety three are interested, and I am one of them. And I have a feeling Doc and Scott are gonna be there. No, uh, King Henry the Eighth said he's gonna be there. Maybe we can uh, get a few other people uh, to come on out too. So, uh, uh, and one thing I realized, um, something I have to bring up after listening to our guest spot on. Um, Super Podcast Brothers a couple of weeks ago. Uh, first of all, I've listened to it three, four, five times, mainly yeah. because I am a narcissist. Oh, but I, I thought I was bad for listening to it once. <laughs> I listen. You know what? Even though I listen to their shows regularly, anyway, it, it's not so much that I'm a narcissist. It's that I just fairly unsure of myself, and everybody knows about my low self esteem issues and all that. And I keep and I listen over and over uh, just to find out things that I could have done wrong or whatever. And I noticed. That one place in the thing, I said that Ballblazer is the slightly better two-player game 
for the Atari 7800 over Asteroids. And then I said Asteroids was the slightly better two-player game over Ballblazer for the 7800. So, yeah, um, as you can tell, those are both really good games. I'm kind of, like, undecided about which is the better of the two when it comes to two-player. So uh, I just thought I would bring that up because I am a butt. And um, I just want to give a shout-out also to our friends across the pond. Which pond? Oh, well, uh, actually, technically a slough, the Saganeshki Slough out in Lamont. Uh, oh, okay. I'm going to talk to our Thank friends you. that are across there. Uh, I recently, a couple of weeks ago, went riding my bicycle on the Calsag Trail from Lamont all the way to Lyle and back. It's like a good uh, like 25, 26 miles round trip. Ooh, Consider that, like on the way to Pixel Blast, get some exercise. Well, there you go. And it's actually funny you mentioned that because I was thinking, <laughs> thinking, yes, funny, haha. Oh, funny, haha, or funny, ho ho. Oh, stop it, you're killing me. I was actually thinking about riding my bicycle to one of the arcades sometime, but uh, yeah, I couldn't I, tell you which one I would do it. Oh, I'll tell you. No, you, you're going to ride your bike to uh, sit. You know what? You need to visit your sister, so you should ride your bike to um, Star Worlds. Well, in a few weeks, if everything goes out with my health, because I have been having a bit of a, a little bit of a health issue recently, uh, I will be in DeKalb riding the Bike MS, which DeKalb, Illinois, is also the home of Star Worlds. That's true. Oh, yeah, and the Great Cycle Challenge, which I'm participating in, started today. Guess mm-hmm. who didn't ride a bike today? Dun, dun, dun. And one other thing I'm going to get out of the way. I also signed up to do the uh, the 2016 Wolf Ride down in Columbia, Illinois, which is a suburb of St. Louis. It's a 50 or 100 mile ride. It's a uh, it's a charity event. And I'm, I'm like really up on the charity it's events this 50 year. 50 or 100, they don't know yet. Yeah, well, you know, it's actually a 53 mile loop, but you can do it twice for 106. And it's uh, to support lupus research. We'll put a link to the uh, to my donate page in the show notes if anyone would feel so inclined. Um, I have you know my uh, my sister. Um, she uh, I, I don't know how to say it. Got was diagnosed with lupus like in 1982, and uh, what happened was my sister and our cousin and aunt went to the World's Fair down in Knoxville, Tennessee. Oh, did she go to the Wig Sphere? Yes, actually, I've been up that. Uh, too. I was there in 1982 myself. And um, that was well before, uh, you know, uh, Bart uh, backed the vehicle into it and toppled it over. But, wow, that's actually quite relevant for today's episode. Um, but uh, so what happened was she had uh, some sort of, uh, of, a, of an attack down there, and she was diagnosed with lupus. And um, thanks to advancements in technology and medication and treatment, she's still with us. And... Um, um, I'm a firm believer in uh, science-based medicine, and they've come through for my sister. So I figured, A, it's not in the Chicago area, which I would love to ride more outside the Chicago area. B, I'm riding my bike, and C, you know, it's it's for a good cause that uh, I actually have a connection with. So, again, there you go. Uh, we will uh, put a link to the uh, donation page in the show notes. No pressure. Do it! <laughs> do it, do it, do it! So, uh, there we are. Oh, yeah, uh, shout out to 10 Pence. I forgot about that, yes. Hi, 10 Pence. Yeah, and thank you, Sean Holly, for mentioning us. Yay, now you and you and Vic are on even ground now. Woohoo! Um, mm-hmm. And also, Vic, I want to give a Vic shout out. And I can't believe it. I forgot to, I totally forgot to plug this one. I don't know how many of you have heard of it, but there, there's a, a gentleman named Bill Pepper who is the uh, host of Atari Bytes. Atari Bytes, B Y T E S. 
which ah, yes. is it's an Atari twenty six hundred. Not to be confused with Peter Pepper. Oh, I can't wait to hear him talk about Burger Time. But it's an Atari 2600 podcast. It is sort of a game-by-game podcast, but it's not quite the same thing that Ferg does. Instead, uh, what Bill does Instead, he he, does he talks about the games while standing on his head with his head in a bucket of water full of piranha fish. You sure that wasn't Ferg? Oh, yeah, you know what? You're right. Ferg does yeah, do that I thought with the that's piranha what, fish. what happened. But yeah, but what, uh, what Bill does is instead of just talking about the game as a game and saying, hey, here's how to play it, here's how to do this, he kind of examines the backstory of the characters in the games and if there isn't an existing one he comes up with one and it's very creative um the only bone i have to pick from him is i hate how he says denouement he says denouement it's denouement but hey but other than that i love his podcast and what i truly love about it is that it is probably one of the snarkiest podcasts i've ever heard i'm a big fan of snark yeah that was a pretty good show it was yeah it wasn't as good as the smurfs but uh no, yeah, but at least they tried something a little. I mean, I guess I, could, I guess they were just basically the Smurfs underwater too, though, weren't they? Probably. Oh, you said snark. You didn't say snorks. Oh, jeez, I so bad. Uh, apologies all around. Apologies, table of two. So, uh, wow, with all of that uh, intro stuff, we're twenty some minutes into the show. Wow. 20 minutes of nothing, but our listeners don't expect any less. Uh, so I think, shall we move on to Addenda Errata feedback? You know what? We do kind of have some addenda, and this is my own addendum here. In our previous episode, episode 31, that focused specifically on the Atari prototype of Beavis and Butthead, we had entertained the possibility that maybe the game was going to be a tie-in with Beavis and Butthead to America, considering that Beavis and yeah. Butthead to America came out around Christmas of uh, 1996, and the game was being worked on in 1996. Mm-hmm. And um, I had done some thinking, and of course I didn't think about this before we actually recorded that episode. I thought of it after we already released it. Talk about mm-hmm. timing. Now think about it. Who are the main characters of the, the Beavis and Butthead show, besides the title characters, of course? Uh, Stuart, Buzzcut, Van Driesen, uh, McVicker, Daria, Todd. Yeah. Uh, Todd's cool. Um, <clears throat> oh, wait a minute. Marge, Todd's cool. Um, <clears throat> let me think who else. Uh, Tom Anderson. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it, really. Yeah, that's the rogues gallery, so to speak. Now, think about this. The game, the Beavis and Butthead game, the arcade game, has, of course, Beavis and Butthead. It has Daria. Stuart is in it. And um, Buzzcut is in it in the uh, high score table. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it. And if you go over to Beavis and Butthead to America, it doesn't have Daria, doesn't have Stuart, but it does have Van Driesen. Van Driesen and McVicker and Tom Anderson. And Tom Anderson, yeah, and it doesn't have buzz cut. So it seems to me that the game had characters that did not appear in the movie and vice versa. Hmm. Almost as if they do complement each other. So maybe there is a tie-in. And of course, the one character who is very loudly missing from both, Todd. Mm-hmm. Especially because he's in uh, several of the home games, if not all of them. So that makes me think that perhaps, keep in mind that the uh, Beavis and Butthead game was a prototype, it was unfinished. 
that perhaps Todd would have been involved in that game somehow, especially when you think that uh, one of the bonus rounds repeats. I think it's uh, Battle of the Dorks. Well, it's very possible. Well, yeah. The- and maybe there was going to be another bonus round. Right. So that's that's entirely possible. Um, it would seem to me that they would have w- probably developed two more bonus rounds if the game ends after the last level. Because, yeah. Because, first of all, there is still that one coming soon. I would expect that if they were going to redo the other bonus rounds, that they'd have a number of main rounds that were a multiple of three, just so that they repeated them evenly. Uh, maybe I'm just thinking that a little too through, but uh, they would definitely have needed at the very least one more bonus round to complement the one coming soon level at the very least. Yeah, that's kind of weird because the the movie was pretty much the end of the Beavis and Butthead reign, if you will. I think that was it. Uh, there was the episode Beavis and Butthead are dead. Oh, by the way, um, searching around on YouTube, first of all, there's uh, uh, four different collections of Beavis and Butthead episodes. There's the three... Mike Judge collection, which you can buy. Uh, can you buy that all in one box set? I don't think so. And then there's the one of the episodes they released uh, just a couple of years ago. Now, when Mike Judge released the uh, the Mike Judge collection DVDs, he basically summed the show up as one third episodes that sucked, one third that are okay, and one third that are really good. And he had the ones that are okay and were really good on the DVDs. So not every episode is on the DVDs. And there's actually one episode in particular that was. Uh, cut up for the DVDs. Um, I've been spending time on YouTube watching some of the episodes that are not on the DVD collections. I finally saw Couch Fishing. That was a pretty good one. Uh, I don't believe Daria was in that one, but the Stuart definitely was in that episode. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. And um, Yeah, when I, when I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they blame it all on Stuart. Of course, they always blame everything on Stuart. And then there was one or what was see I still haven't seen Battle of the Dorks. Um, I need to look for that one. And what was the other bonus round? Uh, Burger World. I, yeah. I think there is specifically an episode titled Burger World, which I don't know if I'm pretty sure I've seen that one, but I have don't think I've seen that one in a long time. But so yeah, I found that interesting. You know, it's going on to YouTube and watching these old episodes. I want all of the episodes. I don't want just the ones that Mike Judge thinks are good because there's a couple of episodes he cut out of there that were really, really funny. Like uh, there's one called Buttheads Island, uh, where they were watching um, uh, Gilligan's Island. Oh and, yeah, and uh, they went to the mall. And they went to the mall, and then they uh, they got kicked out of the store, and so they saw like the fountain area and all the change in there, and it was drained so that they could clean it, and they were stuffing their pockets full of change and then they turn the water on and there's this island in the middle of the fountain and they go there and they're stuck there for like four days and then finally the janitor guy goes you know that's only like about four inches deep you can walk right across it (laughs) 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 and that was not on any of the uh, collections and as far as the one episode on the collection that was chopped up uh, i can't remember the name of it off the top of my head but it was one where they're dreaming that they're on different television shows and one of them they're on the Brady Bunch. Um, Here's a story of a guy named Butthead who was horny for three very lovely girls. <laughs> and that scene was totally cut out of that episode on the Mike Judge collection. That kind of pissed me off there. but uh, There might have been some legal things that... Uh, that's the only thing I can think yeah. of on that. And so understandable with, you know, with still being a little pissed off but so. hey speaking of youtube and beavis and butthead uh, we got feedback on uh, the video that uh, we uploaded 
of the entire gameplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Beard says, spells it correctly too, by the way. Sean Beard says, and by the way, I'm guessing this person is a big Beavis and Butthead fan based on mm-hmm. his avatar and his background picture. They both have Beavis. But anyway, Sean says, like, 95% of the voice clips are from seasons one through three, just like the Genesis and, and uh, SNES games, hmm. which were all the cruder 1993 episodes that are more uncommon due to Mike Judge not wanting almost any of them released on DVD and kids burning down their houses or whatever. That might also explain it there. There are very few references to anything post-1993. I did notice that. Yeah, oh yeah, me too. Mainly Cornholio, who was introduced in July 1994. And correct me if I'm wrong, but there doesn't seem to be any Cornholio voice samples either, which leads me to believe that was a very last-minute addition. I think, didn't you mention that there was one about... Uh, yes, uh, where Beavis says, The streets were flowing deep down than yeah, that is a Cornholioism for sure. Yeah, and that is definitely in the arcade game. Yeah. Also, all episode references and characters are from the 1993 era as well. Uh, burger tag, couch fishing, going to the circus. And I noticed, I found it interesting that uh, at the very least, Battle of the Dorks and Couch Fishing, uh, which the two mini games are based on, are not on any of the uh, Mike Judge Collection DVDs. Interesting. Let's see. Mistress Cora, for example, never made appearances in later seasons. Mistress Cora. Oh God, which one was that? Who is she? Well, I guess I guess we're not as, we're not uh, as big fans as we think we are. No, <laughs> but, probably uh, not. But obviously, she must have been in the game. That, I'm I'm pretty sure Sean Beard is a big fan. <laughs> you know, you definitely oh, know yeah. what he's talking about here. Uh, anyway, the few lines about the joystick and any obvious video game references are the only voice samples that are exclusive to the game, and not from the actual show. By the way, the fat guy is named Billy Bob, and that's what uh, that's what his chest tattoo says as well. Okay. Awesome video guys. We're awesome video guys. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. It, you know, and here's uh, something from, uh, from Chris Plus Plus, friend of the show, off of Atari Age, and he was saying, uh, I don't remember saying that Beavis and Butthead glorified stupidity. I believe it, though. It sounds like something I would have posted from atop one of my several soapboxes a few years back before I learned some semblance of tact. Maybe it was just one of those days on which I've heard, I'd heard too many attempted impersonations. There's a different reason for which I've never found the show funny, which is an inapt way of wording it, as I made it through half an episode in the 90s and haven't watched it since. The greater part of my school days were spent in Albuquerque, where the guy who came up with the characters is from. I sat near Beavis and Butthead for years. They might have changed names and faces several times, but the familiarity was too great by the time the cartoon arrived. Mine can't possibly be the only city with such guys, of course. You know, skinny metalheads whose parents won't let them grow their hair long. Those cats always wanted to hang out with me because I had a band pretty early on, and they thought we were rocker brothers or something. Their dialogue usually consisted of the future cartoons, yeah, <laughs> I didn't say anything because I was a quiet kid and also didn't want to hurt their feelings in case that was actually possible. Frankly, I find your impersonations on the show funnier than any actual Beavis, Beavis and Butthead snippets I've heard over the years. Eh, why well, you're a dirty butthole. <laughs> um, <laughs> I enjoyed the episode, though, because I find prototype histories fascinating. Okay, <sighs> he ends this with a really controversial statement. And um, for those who have more sensitive or more delicate ears, um, you know, you might want to turn off the podcast for the next couple of seconds. So, okay, here it is. Is everybody ready for the the extremely, this is the most controversial thing we have ever said on this show. Hmm. Okay. Chris Plus Plus said, controversially, superb job as usual. (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't know if we can air that last sentence. Um, we might have to bleep that out. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I, mean, yeah I don't know. You know I don't, I, I don't want the protesters. Do, so, yeah, I, I really don't want the protesters because, you know, we bank ourselves on presenting truth, and that last sentence was really kind of a lie. So, yeah. you know, I don't know. But you know what, though? We're all about controversy, so damn it, we're leaving it in. And I would have pounded my computer desk for that it bites nice glass sound effect there if yeah. my computer desk wasn't made of glass. Yeah. So. I guess, seriously, thanks, uh, thanks, Chris Plus Plus for being a friend of the show. Thanks for the feedback, and, yeah, and th- uh, thanks I'm thinking to Sean about Beard the uh, and thinking about the uh, the uh, the thing. I, I want to think now, thinking about the conversation we had many, 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 many moons ago, that you were saying it about uh, a character uh, on a show whose game we're going to be talking about tonight. So um, there you go. Oh yeah, and I responded, <laughs> "You said beat." So. <laughs> Obviously, Dauber and I enjoy the show immensely. Otherwise, we wouldn't beat the impersonations into the ground. <laughs> you thud beat. So, oh yeah, and uh, Maybach uh, says, uh, I noticed the boys are branching out from our podcast ventures. And he posted a link to a company called JimmyGSteaks.com. So, uh, it's a restaurant. I think there's one in Philadelphia, one in uh, Pittsburgh, which is interesting because years back, I actually had uh, a food product I wanted to uh, sell in these stores. And uh, I was going to call it Jimmy G's seasoning or something. And then I did some research and found about this restaurant called Jimmy G's in Pittsburgh. I'm like, ugh. So that's about all the addenda and errata I have. Do you have anything more to add? Um. Oh. Um. You know what? No. You know what? Let's move on. Um. So I think it's time that we um talk about our games. We have a couple of them lined up for tonight, and Ooh, that's twice as many as last time. Yeah, actually. And, um, of course, you know, pretty, pretty much everybody already knows the theme because we announced the last show. And and the reason why we wanted to do this now is because one of the games, it was kind of hard to not make a comparison to the Beavis and Butthead game uh, when we were talking about it. And uh, so I, we decided instead, we weren't originally going to put this episode next to each other, but we thought we probably should do this just kind of as a uh, a bookend, if you will. I thought you were going to say cop-out. Well, cop-out bookend. I mean, case in point, the line between science fact and science fiction is razor thin. So, uh, and you've just seen the line, you know, shaved even thinner. So, yeah, we decided to do uh, two games. Uh, one of them, uh, you know what, Let's since we did Beavis and Butthead the last time, let's talk about the other game that uh, is parallels it, in a way, uh, first. And that is, of course, The Simpsons. Ah, yes, The Simpsons. A Konami beat up from 1980-whatever. It was uh, March 4th, 1991. Really? 91? Yep. Oh, I was thinking 88. The Simpsons came on the air in, what, 86, 85? The first Simpsons that ever happened was, of course, on the Tracy Ullman show. On the Tracy Ullman show, but the show itself... The first episode of the standalone show was Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire... That would have been um, actually 1989, because I remember that was my sophomore year in high school. Yeah, it says December 17th, 1989. So the show had only been on TV for two years when they came out with the arcade game. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, well, that sheds actually a little more um, light on uh, some of the discussion we're going to have tonight. They're in their 27th season. I can't can't believe they're still going, uh, because in my opinion, the show peaked a long time ago. It did, but I got to tell you, every now and then I actually tune it in, and there are times when I'm laughing out loud. They still, 
well, I shouldn't say still, but they get the spark back now and again. I haven't watched it in a long time, and I I just don't have the desire to anymore. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I pretty much stopped watching after season 10 because season 11 pissed me off. Why did season 11 piss you off? It was just awful. Yeah? I just remember every episode, I was like, what? Neither was the Simpsons movie. Except, except Behind the Laughter. Behind the Laughter, I thought, was a wonderful episode. I know I've seen that, but I don't remember anything about it. Is it is classic. It's from season 11. It's the one good episode from that season. One thing that kind of pissed me off where I stopped watching it, it seemed like every episode they had like some new celebrity guest star. Uh, originally, The Simpsons was on. They were doing their thing. And then what happened was they started becoming the kind of this hip thing, and celebrities were coming to them like, can we get on the show? Or no, they went to a you know, and well, I don't know, but celebrities came on the show kind of as a whatever. And then it got to the point where every episode had some major celebrity guest star, it seemed like. And it's like The Simpsons, it was just another show on TV, and it became hip. And then it seemed to me like at one, some point the writers realized the show became hip. And instead of writing it the way they had been, they purposely wrote it to be hip, to be whatever. And I think that's where the writing took a, a bit of a tumble, but I really do need to go back and look, watch some episodes from like the last 10 years or so. I haven't watched the show in like 10 years. Well, you know what? And there's still a, a butt ton of celebrity voices on the, on the show. I read a fan theory that actually kind of might explain that. Oh, and uh, this is a couple of years ago. I read this or someone came up with the, with a the theory that uh, remember the episode when uh, Bart and Homer were pranking each other and Bart, shook the hell out of a beer and when homer opened it it literally exploded in his face like an actual full-blown explosion i don't remember that and it one. put him in the hospital he was in a coma mm-hmm. and they made a they basically used that as an excuse to do a clip show <laughs> and the theory is that homer never came out of that coma and what we are seeing is his fantasies as he's in the coma hmm like he he fantasizes that, that he meets all these celebrities that he wins a Grammy that he goes to uh, space, space and uh, and and all that wonderful stuff because people are the the person who came up with this noticed that there was kind of a drastic turn in like the storylines at about that point. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting th- fan theory, kind of all similar to the fan theory surrounding the the TV show The Walking Dead where some people think that Rick is still in the coma and everything that's happening on the show is his dream while he's in the coma but the creators of the show say nope that's not what's going on but they do have an end game in mind and um, I'm getting burned out on that but we're talking about The Simpsons and that's a background or whatever into the show and our opinions on the show uh, but as for the game it's uh, pretty much the same gameplay as uh, the Various uh, Konami Ninja Turtles beat-em-up arcade game. There are some uh, differences. One criticism we had about uh, the Beavis and Butthead game is the fact that in the main gameplay, the only only two characters from the show were Beavis and Butthead. Now, Daria, Stuart, and I believe the manager of the uh, Burger World were in some of the mini-games. But that was about it. I mean, there wasn't characters all sprinkled throughout it. This one has the characters everywhere. That's kind of a uh, kind of a nice uh, refreshing thing. But uh yeah, you have uh, different items that you can pick up to use as weapons. You have things like a bowling ball, which any of them can get. Uh you can use to throw as a weapon. My favorite, the slingshot. Uh you can pick up 
the <laughs> the dog or the cat. Uh, let's see, the dog is Santa's little helper. The, the cat is Snowball. Snowball two, technically. Oh. To snowball too. You can pick them up and throw them, use them as weapons. You can grab a hammer. One thing I realized I didn't <laughs> I didn't look at the uh, the name of the uh, of the different levels. I'm gonna look that up right now. Some of their the people from the, uh, the TV show are in there. They just uh, are either background or they give you weapons. Um, you can get a slingshot from one of them. I want to think Mill. Millhouse? I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, But you can pick it up in many different places. Now, the bad guys are the typical generic Konami red shirts, I guess, if you want to call them, if you want to get all Star Trek-y. There's a couple of different ones. There's a guy, he's either wearing a blue or a green suit. Uh, Eventually, he gets a hat and throws it. Sometimes he gets an umbrella or a broom that he can throw it. And then eventually, there's this big guy who wears, like, orangish pants with a pink shirt, with white hair. You can uh, beat up uh, some of the rabbits from Life in Hell. Uh, in fact, the rabbits from Life in Hell introduce each round, which I thought was a kind of a nice, uh, nice little touch there. Uh, it is extremely obvious that Matt Groening had his hand in development of this game uh, with the touches. I mean, the fact that the rabbits from Hell are in there show that he definitely had something to do with it. You can choose one of four Simpsons characters. Oh, maybe I should get into the plot a little bit first. Uh, the plot is. They're walking down the street or whatever, holding the baby, Maggie. And um, and who's they? Who is they? Well, it's Homer, Bart, Lisa, and uh, Marge. And Marge is holding the baby. And a bunch of people are robbing a bank, led by Smithers. So that's my... That's going to be a, a theme with this episode. And um, they run into each other. The diamond that he's stealing goes up in the air, and it lands in Maggie's mouth. And because of that, he kidnaps Maggie. And so the object of the game is to go save Maggie from Smithers. Even two years into the show, you know that Smithers isn't a bad guy. Of course not. Smithers was never, ever, ever, ever a bad guy in this. He was confused. No, maybe not confused. And I'm not talking about his sexuality or whatever. I was talking yeah, they about... They hadn't even gotten to that yet, I don't They think. hadn't even gotten to that yet, but about his... Uh, confused about his boss, let's put it that way, Mr. Burns. And so through the game, you're going through many different levels to try to get to save Maggie. There's a couple of bonus rounds. One is uh, where you're pumping up a balloon to try to go chase after uh, Smithers for Maggie. And another one uh, comes after a dream sequence, and you're just trying to wake yourself up from the dream. Now, there's four controls, four joysticks on the, on the machine. Uh, each has a jump and a attack button, or punch, or whatever they call it. Each one of the Simpsons have different weapons. Homer uses his fists. Marge uses a vacuum cleaner. Lisa, a jump rope. And Bart uses his skateboard. Is there any advantage uh, for any particular weapon? Not that I've seen. Because I know in Turtles, like, there's, like, different ranges and stuff like that. Yeah, I would contend that Bart's weapon has probably the the shortest range. Uh, But that's, I might even be wrong on that. One thing I find interesting is if you keep attacking, every now and then your weapon will malfunction. Uh, Homer will get his arms tied into a knot. Marge will accidentally suck up her hair in the vacuum. Bart will just keep spinning around on his skateboard. And Lisa will tie herself up with her jump rope. And um, I don't know what I think about that particular play uh, mechanic in this game. And... um, I, I, I don't really don't know what I think about that. Now, one thing interesting, and it's been rare since I've done this, so I've not seen it very often when I've played the game with multiple people, is you can team up 
two characters uh, to do special attacks. All right, that is cool. Yes, that, I thought that was a great upgrade from the, the Ninja Turtles. That is one other one thing I like about this over the Ninja Turtles is, unlike the Ninja Turtles where everyone just has a mask and a different weapon, you can tell these are different characters, and it is it is hard to forget which character you're playing because, you know, hey, I'm playing Homer instead of... I'm playing the guy with the orange mask. So that's one, one thing I like about this. Um, but the uh, the enemies are all pretty generic for the most part. I mean, as I was saying, you got the two basics, the uh, the, the thin guy and the big guy. But there eventually there are uh, you do beat up ghosts and zombies, people in a movie studio. There's one scene where you're beating up ninjas. <laughs> there's uh, there's another one where you're uh, you're beating up uh, people from the nuclear plant. But that's actually interesting. Um, let me see if I got a list of the levels. Oh, here we are. Here's a list of the enemies. You got goons and fat goons, which are the two main ones. Door women, which not sure what that is. Firefighters, forgot about those. Krusty the Clown lookalikes, which are usually just the uh, the fat guy in a crusty costume. The rabbits from hell, zombies. Barrel women, which I believe those are in a bar sequence. Bigfoot, forgot about the Bigfoot. Loggers. Donuts, Marge Klaus, Power Plant Employees, Saxophones, Bart Devils, and Ninjas. Now, the uh, levels are Downtown, which is where you start. Krusty Land, which is an amusement park. There's uh, one uh, one little touch I like in there is you have uh, the bus driver whose name I am Otto. blanking on at them. Otto. Yes, Otto. Remember, this is one of the four video games I can think of that have a character named Otto. That is true. And uh, there's one scene in the Krusty Land where he's, like, working the soft drink counter, and you can pick up a soft drink and use a soft drink as a weapon. I kind of like that one. Uh, then you have a Cemetery, uh, Moe's Tavern, Springfield Butte, which is Springfield National Forest, Dreamland, which is, I have to say, that's my favorite level, uh, the Channel 6 TV station, which is where you fight the ninjas, and then the Springfield Nuclear Power Plant, which that's where you have the boss characters. Now... Uh, went over the enemies. Now, in Dreamland, you fight against uh, the donuts. The one thing I liked about the Dreamland phase in this, uh, the Dreamland scene sequence in this one, is that there are enemies based on the major Simpsons characters. Like, donuts would be... Who do you think donuts? Well, you think Homer. Mmm, donuts. Clouds look like Marge. That one's the least original. Obviously Marge. Power plant employees, again. That would be Homer. Evil saxophones, that would be the... Uh, and those are hard to beat. Those are uh, would be Lisa's. And then Devil's looking like Bart, which in the game... I think believe this is one of the Konami games where you get one point per kill or something like that. Yes. Oh, hold on. Before we go there, I'm going to go over the bosses. Uh, the first boss is a wrestler, Professor Werner Von Braun. The second one is a gigantic balloon that looks like Krusty the Clown. The one just before Moe's Tavern, mobsters. In Moe's Tavern, you fight a drunk man, a bear for the forest, gigantic bowling ball for Dreamland, which that's probably my favorite boss. Robots. Robot, where is that one at? That would have to be at the uh, the TV station. But the Kabuki Warriors at a TV station. Now, hold on a second here. Uh, and then, of course, I'm not going to go get into the final bosses as of yet. Now, um, where was I going with that? Um, Toledo? Oh, yeah. Uh, each character, you have a certain number of lives, and then you have a, a power meter, again, like Ninja Turtles. When you die in this game, when you lose a life, one thing I really like about this game is that you come back in as a superhero 
<laughs> dressed up like a superhero. And I, I, I thought that was a nice touch. Ah, but what happens when you actually die? Well, when you lose a life, you come back in, flying in as a superhero, and not only are you invincible, but you deal damage to any enemies that happen to be where you land. Which I that think I didn't would, know. Yes, which uh, I've actually killed a few uh, enemies like that in the past. But what about when you actually die? When you actually die, the little Bart Devil comes flying above you. That's where, you that's go. where I was going with this, with the with the levels, because the Bart Devils are one of the char- one of the main things you beat up in the Dreamland sequence. Another thing I like about it, we were talking about how you can pick up different things to use them as weapons. You could pick up things to throw, like boulders or bar stools or whatever, <laughs> in the Dreamland. There's just some weird stuff going on, like the letters Maggie, M-A-G-G-I-E, with an exclamation mark, fall from the sky. You could pick up those letters and use and throw those at the enemies. Uh, I always thought that was kind of cool. And, um, yeah, you're just basically fighting. This is a tip, kind of a typical fight-and-go-right. One thing I thought interesting is, after the cemetery, there's an elevator going from the cemetery to most Tavern. So, most Tavern is underground at the cemetery. Figure that one out. But that's the least of this this game's continuity problems, which we're going to get to. I mean, it's a typical fight-and-go-right. I'd say it's more enjoyable than the Ninja Turtles game. But when we were playing it at Galloping Ghost, you had said something. And I thought this was really telling. You were asking me, how much longer do we have to play this? You know, how far through the game are we? You're asking, are we like two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through? I'm like, no, we're only about half. This is a fairly long game, and this is, again, one of the, the Konami beat-em-up quarter-munching games. Big time. I'd say this game is more... I don't mind it as much on The Simpsons as I did on Ninja Turtles. That could just be because I'm more of a fan of The Simpsons than I was the Ninja Turtles. Maybe someone who's a fan of Ninja Turtles over Simpsons has the opposite opinion. For all of this I've said about this game, I kind of like this game. There is one thing that drags this game down one continue for me and it is with the the very end of game bosses now we've already touched on Waylon smithers smithers was never an evil character ever 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 in the show i don't care from day one smithers was never evil maybe he did stuff that wasn't right because mr burns told him to but he was never evil he was he wasn't even a conflicted character he was he was a good kind-hearted person in this one Waylon Smithers is evil. He's even got an evil look on his face. Was there ever an episode of the show where he was just out and out evil? Not that I can remember. Not Certainly not from 1991 or earlier. Exactly. And I just cannot think of where he was evil. Because when he is the boss character in this one, he's like doing throwing bombs everywhere at you guys. And then eventually he blows himself up with a vest made out of bombs. He commits suicide. You don't actually defeat him. And I'm like thinking, this is not like Smithers at all. And that really pissed me off. Every now and then when Smithers throws a bomb at you uh, in the end of the game, uh, you can pick it up. I believe if it's the color blue. If it's black, you can't pick it up. But if it's blue, you can and throw it back at Smithers. But the thing that really pisses me off the most, in this game, somehow Smithers was under orders to steal this gem, this diamond, whatever, from Mr. Burns. Now, I can see Mr. Burns going and stealing a diamond for whatever reason. Of course. I can see that. But this game makes Mr. Burns out to be 100% evil. Mr. Burns, first of all, he's in like this gigantic 
robot suit that walks around, and you destroy that, and it knocks it down to where he's like on a hover skirt. And then um, there's another, I think there's another form, and then the last, it's just Mr. Burns. And when he's just in Mr. Burns' form, one hit and he's dead. So, I mean, that makes sense. But in this game, Mr. Burns is, is portrayed as the ultimate evil. Is he corrupt? Yes. Is he a good guy? No. But he's not out and out evil on the show. He's got well, moments. He's 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 probably the most complex character on the show. And this game just kind of makes him even two years into the show, he was I would say he was still the most complex character on the show. And, and this game just makes him all out evil one way. And that really I I have to admit, the first however many times I played this game, I never thought about it. But then as time went on, I'm like thinking the, the portrayal of Smithers and Mr. Burns in this game are just so totally off. I don't know. I, I, I That brings this whole game down one continue for me. And I just, I just, I just can't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just more of a, a guy that likes to see characters portrayed that they were in the other media, but it just, it just ruins it for me, I guess. I don't know. Uh, what have you to say? Not really much. I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Um, one thing I want to address is very, very common arcade lore is Simpsons is basically Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with a different skin. And I don't really agree with that, but at the same time, I can totally, totally understand why somebody would say that. Right. It seems to me that Konami just, I mean, I don't know much about Konami. I mean, like I said before, you know, I am no expert on classic video games. I just like playing them and I like learning about them. And, th- and, th- and that's the purpose of our show. We're learning along with you. Yeah. And one thing I have not learned yet is whether or not my theory is true that Konami basically had one master fight and go right engine and they basically like skinned it for different purposes. Put a skin on for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they mm-hmm. put a skin on for The Simpsons, put a skin on for whatever else have you. Because I can definitely see some parallels. I can definitely see that. Now, they did, they did make enough changes to this game, as I was saying, to keep sure. it from being just, you know, the Ninja Turtles with a different skin. And the changes that they made were welcome, with the exception of the difficulty. I mean, there's, just, there's absolutely no way you can win this game on one credit. It's, it's just impossible. Cue a flood of uh, emails and feedbacks and stuff uh, saying, oh, yeah, well, here's a video of somebody doing it. Yeah, no kidding. But, you know... Or to somebody who has a life, if you have yeah. a life, you're never, ever going to 1cc this game. No. No, not at all. Not at all. As I said, I don't think this is a bad game. Compared to Ninja Turtles, this is a, this is a really good game. And they made enough tweaks to it to where I could enjoy it a lot more. But it's just that the, the fact that you have to, that you can't, it's kind of hard to get really good at it. And the fact that they've screwed up the characters of Smithers and Mr. Burns just kind of... I can't give it, you know, a huge a huge rating. With that having been said, are we ready to continue this thing or to give our continues or rating? Um, yeah. You mentioned many times already that you you have to knock a continue off. So what? how many continues do you give this game? Well, I like it better than Ninja Turtles, as I've said a bazillion times. Would you if, it, um, if you weren't a Simpsons fan, though? That, you know, there's the question. I mean, you asked that about the Beavis and Butthead one. Yeah, I mean, if it um, were something else, if it were some other characters in there, would you like it as much? 
Like if this were a perfect strangers game, would you like it? I think if if the, let's put it let's put it this way, if the uh well, yeah, I mean if this was um if they inserted different characters into it but kept everything else the same. I'd still say it would retain a sense of humor. But there again, I mean it's the Simpsons sense of humor too though. I don't I you know, I don't know how much I could think about that because you could really that that's sort of a question you could really nitpick till the cows come home. Uh so I'm just going to rate it for what it is. Uh for what it is. It's based on this property and they did good with it. If it wasn't for the way they butchered the characters of Smithers and Mr. Burns, I would rate it three continues. But because they butchered Smithers and Mr. Burns, I have to give it a two. I'm giving it two continues as well, and pretty much for the same reasons you are, but I don't know. It just seems to me that they were pretty lazy in terms of getting a Simpsons feel down to it. I mean, they have the characters in it. They have the Matt Groening style drawing in it, but that's pretty much it. They didn't really do what they could have done with it. It seems to me like the enemies were forced. I mean, you you have what, a crowd of lawyers on you, and the lawyers it keep coming up. It is the generic up. Konami. It is so enemy. generic. We had the foot soldiers in uh, in the Ninja Turtle games, which were were different colors, but they were the same character. They were just generic, and they keep coming out, and it gets boring. It's like, oh come on! And that's why I loved the Dream World stage, is because you didn't see those generic characters at all in that stage. They were all original and unique. And the Dreamland stage, as I said, was the most fun stage. It's just a shame that you have to go through uh, one, two, three, four, you know, five stages to get to it. It's one of the last stages. But it's the most fun stage, as, like I said, you know. Uh, I repeat myself a lot on the show. I repeat myself a lot on the show. So, yeah, I mean... I really, really, really want to give this game a higher score. Uh, but, you know, I, I mean, it is what it is. That's, you know, that's my opinion. Am I going to stop playing this? No, because I do like the game. But, as I said, I just butchered a couple of the characters. I will say this over the Beavis and Butthead game, though, is at least the characters from the show are spread throughout the game. That is true. So, I mean, I have to give it that over the Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. But I don't see myself playing this game again. I really don't. I've played this game exactly twice in my life. I've played The Simpsons twice in my life. No fewer, no more. And uh, I remember the very first time I played this. It was um, in 1997, the summer of 1997, at Haunted Trails in Joliet on Broadway Street. Ah, you play, we played that d- together, didn't we? Yep. You and uh, I believe Jenny G was with us, too. In 97? Yeah, that yep. would have been possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you guys had just gotten married, I think. Yeah, we'd been married a year. And I want to think the first place, time I played this was at the Aladdin's Castle at the Louis Joliet Mall, uh, about the time it came out. I believe I was working at the A&W restaurant in the food court at the time. And uh, I spent a lot of time in the arcade in those days. And um, yeah, I want to think that's the first time I played it. What, oh, the one, other, one thing I did, we did neglect to mention are the home ports of this game. Ah, yes. None! Actually, there was one. Uh, there was a DOS version, but that's it. It wasn't out on any of the classic consoles. Nothing. Now, you can get it, like, on, I believe, uh, uh, downloaded on, like, your Xbox Live and your PlayStation 4 or whatever. Now... Well, basically something... You're talking about unemulated. Unemulated, words. right. Yeah. The, uh, in, in fact, you know what? We shouldn't even bring up the modern consoles because pretty much everything we talk about most everything we've talked about so far is available on the modern consoles as one in one way or another. But in the oh, classic there was, a, era, there was a Commodore 64 port too. 
Oh, there was? Yes. I was not aware of that one. Interesting. I do know of the DOS version because I did... Um, yeah, the same people who did the DOS version it. did the C64 version. Okay. That was Novo Trade. Huh, I'm going to have to look that up on uh, YouTube to see how that plays. I can't imagine the Commodore 64 giving it the uh, the justice it deserves. But yeah, then again, I don't think you need you need to have it 16 bits or higher. Yeah, at the very minimum, uh, it would have been interesting to see this on like the Amiga or the Atari ST, which I'm again I'm yeah. pretty sure it was never released for those. But hey, we might as well talk about uh, high scoring on this. Uh, yes, why don't we do that? Yeah, we're doing things and- out of order here. Yeah, once again, it's basically one point per hit, except on, I believe the Japanese version is an exception, because in the Japanese version, you get a life meter, and um, I believe after you finish a level, you get bonus points for however many ticks you have left in your life meter. But uh, on the North American version, it's a point per hit, just like uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay. Uh, Arcade.com says... Anthony, it, well, I don't know how it's pronounced. It could be Lijevic, but I'm guessing the J is not pronounced like an English J. It's probably Lijevic or something. Uh, sorry, Anthony. March 24th, 2012 at Galloping Ghost, hey. he scored 284 points. Now, does that uh, is that one CC or is that two CC? It's one credit. I, it doesn't say whether he actually finished it. Wait, was this our Orcade or was this... Uh... Orcade. Oh, okay, okay, because there was yeah. a track on Ninja Turtles where I believe it was uh, with um, Twin Galaxies where they allowed to continue, one continue. Yeah, I believe. it doesn't. It doesn't say. It doesn't say. In fact, but this is Orcade. This isn't. Yeah, uh, in what's fact, the it? Twin yeah. Galaxies track, which has the same settings, doesn't mention it either. Interesting. But it does have two different records right now for Twin Galaxies. Brian Sisiki, uh, again, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Verified September two, two thousand six, with a score of two hundred and sixty-three. Oh man, I w- hope Anthony has video of his game. Well, I don't know if he'd keep it for four years, but you know. The two-player team track, Mike Yasenko and Ron Toth scored 154 points, verified August 8th, 2009. And, by the way, there are three-player and four-player tracks on Twin Galaxies that don't have scores yet. Uh, So uh, Hmm. uh, three or four of you want to get a uh, Twin Galaxies world record, (laughs) video yourselves playing the game, submit it. Hey, world record. Hey, there we go. Oh, one thing, uh, one thing I did forget to mention on here, and I'm, I was, yes, I'm looking elsewhere, but um, I do remember seeing this in the game. In the back of uh, Most Tavern, in the Most Tavern stage, uh, there's, like a, <laughs> there's a, like a roulette wheel and blackjack table and stuff, but there's all a pool table, but there's also a few video games. Uh, there's actually, you want to talk meta, there's a Simpsons arcade game cabinet in the Most Tavern level. Oh, that's so beautiful. The Simpsons arcade game is in the Simpsons arcade game. And uh, there also the Konami game uh, Aliens has a cabinet in there, and the attract mode for that one shows uh, Marge turning into one of the uh, aliens. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's a little bit of meta trivia. And wow, uh, very nice uh, doing a game out of order. So yeah, that is The Simpsons. And, yay! Uh, yay! So, now let's talk about another game which I think actually nails the license a lot better than. Uh, Obviously, any of the games that we've, oh, well, <laughs> obviously better than the uh, any of the uh, Konami beat 'em ups that we've talked about so far, and that is Roadrunner. Should I say Ah Roadrunner or Ooh Roadrunner or eh, Roadrunner? How should I do that this time? How about Aha Roadrunner? Uh, aha Roadrunner, or oh, but no, no, better yet, <clears throat> Mimi Roadrunner. 
In this game, you play the Roadrunner, and you are being chased by Wild E. Coyote, who at one time was one of my uh, local Joliet area BBS handles for a very short time. And um, what you're doing is uh, Roadrunner is being chased by the Coyote, and the Coyote is just trying to capture you so he can have his dinner. This is different than most games. It doesn't scroll... Um, let me think. It doesn't scroll to the right. It scrolls to the left. Well, it scrolls to the... The background scrolls to the right because well, you go you're, left. You're moving to the left, where most games you move to the right. You're moving toward the left. And uh, what you have to do is you have to avoid all of the traps set up by the coyote, uh, avoid falling off of cliffs, getting crushed by boulders, uh, jumping on landmines, getting rushed or run over by trucks, uh, while eating birdseed. And um, this is interesting uh, because, first of all, the controller consists of a joystick. And I want to think there's something special about the joystick, but I couldn't find anything about it. And you also have a jump button. And every time you hit the jump button, you jump, and Roadrunner goes. Then what happens? And those that really the jumping in them is your only only weapon. There are four different stages. The first stage, and I actually played through it. If people can see my notes here, I played through it today because there was a few things I wanted to double check on this. I actually double checked something. Whoa. Ah, but did you double check something you mentioned on the show and said I have to check? No, I didn't. Uh, no, no, I didn't. So the first level, the road starts out like five lanes wide and trucks will be coming after you. Uh, and then it gets narrow and kind of winds a little bit. The second round is kind of like a dirt road maze. The first portion of it, Wiley Coyote gets on a rocket and zooms back and forth trying to capture you. And the second part of that maze, Wiley Coyote <laughs> jumps on a spring and jumps all over the maze trying to catch you. The third level in the sequence, there's four in the sequence. It's kind of a maze. It's, uh, you're presented every so often three branch-off paths, and you have to choose the one that gets you to the next branching-off point. Uh, so you have to watch out for dead ends. What? Watch out for snakes? Watch out for snakes. Nah, I knew you were going to go there. You have to watch out for the dead ends, and you have to like turn around and get the way you're going real fast before Wiley gets you. And here's the part that really is a pain in the ass for me, not so much on level three, but on the other levels, is... Uh, it's a single path that like goes you know, up and down, but there's a cannon, and it'll fire, and you have to jump over the cannonball. You have to time it properly, and sometimes the cannons will, be, will actually be behind you, and so you have to time that, and that can be a pain in the ass. And there's another reason this, this sequence, and this is always the third round in a sequence, and I'll tell you another thing that really... One thing that really pisses me off about this game, it's actually in that cannon sequence... Uh, the fourth level is uh, the fourth in the sequence. i got to get my terminology down here. The first is the same road, like the beginning, except there are blotches of glue everywhere. You go through the glue and you slow down. It doesn't stick you, but, you know, it does slow you down. Uh, the second one, the, um, the coyote gets a, a helicopter pack that he straps on, and he's flying around dropping down bombs down on you. And the f last portion of the fourth level are cliffs. They're like, you're like little mesas, and if you can, you can easily fall off uh, of these things if you're not careful. you got to just jump the gaps. And that's the description of the first four rounds. Now, I said you had to eat the bird seed. At the top of the screen, there is a thing called the seed meter. You can only miss six bird seeds before you faint, and if you faint, the coyote can catch you and drag you off screen. You lose a life. <laughs> that that will get really, really, really intense later on in the game. 
Uh, there's a couple of other things you can eat. One is lemonade. Now, the lemonade, I was looking at this today. I believe it starts off at 2,000 points. And if you can eat a series of lemonades without dying, they will eventually give you 9,000 points each time you drink one. The trade-off, however, is that it takes you like one or two seconds to drink the lemonade. You just you don't just run over it like you do with the bird seed. You actually stop for a moment, and if you're stopped, you could get crushed by a truck, captured by Wiley, crushed by a rack, destroyed by uh, a cannonball, which, ugh, that pisses me off. And um, so, yeah, that makes you vulnerable. There is one other aspect to the lemonade, which I like. You can actually trick Wiley into drinking it, stopping him, which uh, is an interesting tactic. Now, starting on level 5, landmines are introduced into the game. Now, actually, level 5, also the lemonade are there. The landmines, you can hop over them. You get bonus points for hopping over landmines. You get the bonus points tallied at the end of the level. You get bonus points for every time you can trick Wiley into getting destroyed, like stepping on a landmine, run over by a truck, crushed by a boulder, hit with a, uh, uh, a cannonball, falling off a cliff. I love it in that last sequence. If you can trick Wiley into falling off the cliff, he'll do like he does in the cartoon, hold up a little sign of something that says, like, bye, and there's like, fall straight down. That's always uh, quite humorous. Starting in the ninth level, the bird seed is joined by steel shot mixed in the birdseed. Now, you don't have to eat the steel shot birdseed, I find out, but you can eat them for points. But the thing is, is it fills your belly up with steel shot, and then Wiley Coyote will produce a magnet and slowly drag you toward him. Level 10, it's the glue level again, but uh, it's the level where, you know, with the, with the glue all over the road, but the trucks are driving through the glue now. And this is interesting, and this is why I played through the game with cheats turned on. I did not know this, but starting on level 13, and I didn't play any further past there, so I don't know if there's anything else in the game, but level 13, there are cans of invisible paint. Really? And you need to get the invisible paint before Wiley does. If you do, you're invisible to Wiley, he can't find you, but if Wiley gets it, he's invisible to you, and you can't see where he is on the screen. So I always I thought that that was a neat uh, quote-unquote power-up. Uh, that's one thing I like about this, because they got... Um, several ways I mean, with with the paint and with the uh the lemonade uh two scoring items in the game two power-ups in the game or whatever that can be used by either you you play the roadrunner or the coyote and that's not something you see very in very many games where the bad guy can actually use uh one of the power-ups against you and pretty much any way that the roadrunner can die the uh, coyote can die the only thing is you can't catch the coyote the coyote can eventually just catch you. You can die by running into the coyote. He just drags you off screen. I'm really curious as to how they came up with a way to animate that since in the cartoon, you never, ever saw the Roadrunner lose. Ever. You did. Oh? Once. It was because of a backfiring of one of Wile E. Coyote's devices. It was a shrink ray. He was going to shrink the Roadrunner. And what happened was, is it backfired and shrunk the coyote. Roadrunner just stared, looked at him, and the coyote runs up to him, grabs his leg, looks up at him. He faces the screen, and he holds up a sign that says, Okay, you guys always wanted me to catch him. Now what? <laughs> uh, I, I loved uh, I loved the Roadrunner cartoons. Oh, who doesn't? And uh, there's the, the meme that goes around Facebook stating that, yes, coyotes are faster than Roadrunners. So, uh, you know, the game and the cartoon lied to us. But... Um, 
overall, I think out of all of the games licensed from other media that we've talked about, uh, Ninja Turtles, Simpsons, Beavis and Butthead, Journey, uh, I, you know, I can't think of others off the top of my head. Uh, Revolution talk- X. Revolution X. This one captures the spirit of its source material better than any other game we've talked about so far. In my humble opinion, I don't know if you agree with that. No, I totally agree. I totally and, agree. And um, it's a cute game. It's got all sorts. Of, I mean, it's got all of the humorous touches. You really do feel like you're playing the cartoon, which is an interesting thing. And this is something we've actually touched on in one of our Laserdisc episodes. But this game started its life as a Laserdisc game. What happened was the backgrounds were just basically painted backgrounds, and the uh, the Roadrunner and the Coyote were computer-generated. Every time you killed the Coyote, the game would stop and show a clip from the cartoon of the Coyote getting destroyed, and it would resume play. And in the prototype, you could see the video up on YouTube. And I thought the, the prototype... Link in the show notes. Link in the show notes. And I thought that the prototype looked... I really want to play this Laserdisc prototype. That actually looks like it would be quite amazing because the the backgrounds look exactly like something from the cartoon. I mean, and it, obviously they had to draw it special for the game, but it, it was it was so good. Now, not to say the graphics in the game the way it came out are suck, but not by a long shot. This game has some pretty amazing graphics. The only real complaint I have about this game is all of the action takes place like on the bottom half of the screen. The top half is pretty much not used for anything for the most part. And then your Roadrunner and Coyote are kind of small characters. But with the uh, the graphics of the game, they you could still tell the emotions of the characters, such, such as they are. Um, you can kind of see the Roadrunner you know, stick his tongue out, which that's something interesting, and I haven't figured out how to trigger it. Every now and then, throughout playing, the Roadrunner will turn, face the Coyote, stick his tongue out, and then you'll get a tongue bonus. And I haven't figured out how to trigger that. You know, like he does in the in the cartoon. It's you can get a bonus for that, and I haven't figured out how to trigger that. I just noticed it happening, and I got two thousand points for that. So I don't know. Yeah, the only thing I could find out about that was uh, if you stay close to Wild E Coyote and maintain a constant speed, and his arms stick out to grab you, but it doesn't really get any um, any more detailed than that. One thing I hate about this game, though, is. It's, it's cute. It captures the spirit of the cartoon perfectly. As I said, it's the best, it's the most faithful to the source material out of any licensed game that we've done so far. But the thing is, this game is so freaking hard. Okay, it's not just me then. No. For example, as I was saying, at starting level 5, Lemonade Start. Now, I was talking about how there's this one scene in the third stage where the path narrows down, and you've got these cannons shooting. Starting on level five. Wait, level five? Well, the second go-round of the, of the third level, which would be, I think, level seven, they put lemonade there. And it is hard to get by the lemonade if you're not paying attention. And then you will stop and drink the lemonade. And then you will get hit by the cannonball and lose a life. And that pisses me off, because I think the two flaws with this game... One... There are places like that which I think are just kind of cheap. It's just kind of cheap to put something like that there. And if you're not expecting it to come up, I mean, you're, you get killed. Granted, it's a little further in the game, so, you know, the game's supposed to get harder. But I think that kind of makes it maybe a little too hard too fast. And then the other thing is, especially on the scene, on the last sequence where you're jumping from Mesa to Mesa, you got to really pay attention 
to where the edges are because they're not really that distinct. I mean, you can see where they are, but you don't know where exactly pixel-wise where you fall off. You have to be pixel perfect on that. The movement, it's... The movement seems too fluid of the controller, I think, if that's the way, because you can move around. And you, in, when you're in the big wide areas, that control actually works good because you can run circles literally around Wiley e. Coyote to confuse them or whatever to get get away from them. But in the smaller areas, especially where the uh, the paths branch off, you can get hung up like on the sides of the path, and that pisses me off too. That's kind of a I, I think that's kind of a cheap. I don't know. They could have they, they could have done a little bit more with the control, and I understand the need for speed, but they could have given you a little. I don't know, leeway in some of the, the tighter areas, I guess, at least at the very beginning of the game, in the first couple of levels, to make it just a little easier, because this the difficulty in this game just ramps up way too hard, way too fast, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know, and uh, let's see, is there anything we haven't covered about the game so far? I think that's about all I've got so far on, uh, on this game. Uh, what have you to add? Well, one thing that I pointed out when we, when, uh, we, we played this game at Galloping Ghost, uh, when we did the Beavis and Butthead episode the joystick is weird now i do think that the joystick at uh, galloping ghost may have had an issue but this does use a different type of joystick i know i read this somewhere and i can't think of what the uh, the difference was but uh yeah it's it's um it almost feels in a way no well, maybe not feel but it almost seems to me almost behaves kind of like the way that the joystick on the atari 5200 does where that one it had two potentiometers, which controlled the... Uh, the analogality. You know, the left and right and the X and Y movement of your character. And it was smooth. You could move in a full, well, as they touted, 360 degrees. Whereas most joysticks, you have four or eight different directions you can go. It seems like you can move in any sort of direction in this game, in a way. Um, I'm wondering if maybe that's it. Uh, I could be wrong on that, and I probably am, but... Um, I don't know because I was reading up about this uh, about uh, Roadrunner, and someone recommended not using an eight-way joystick on this. Like if you're playing it in Mame, yes, to use something with uh, with a um, like a like a thumbstick, an analog control. Yeah, that makes more sense the more that I think about it. But I don't recall there being a uh, analog. Um uh, setup in uh, in Mame when I was playing this earlier, though. And it kind of goes along the theme of. Atari using kind of weird control mechanisms, like Food Fight, for instance. Mm-hmm. It's like 16 ways, possibly, and uh, and yeah, the joystick just feels weird on this. Because I, mean, I, I remember asking, I said, does this joystick feel kind of loose to you? And you said, well, it, it might actually be intentional. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it could be. I'm thinking about the history of, of Atari's games. You're saying the weird controls. That's truer than I thought, because... And this is getting off on a little tangent, talking about some games that we've never played. Uh, but there was the uh, first of all, Tempest. It was a oh, dial. I played Tempest, but I'm, well, some of them we haven't played. Uh, well, well, we haven't talked about. Uh, there was a game called Major Havoc, which was uh, a roller. That w- that's an interesting one, where you actually control your character through a maze with a roller. Mm-hmm. And then there was uh, the uh, uh, we we talked about Food Fight and how it had a special joystick. The game 720 had a joystick, but it it behaved like a roller, not a roller, yeah. uh, like a spinner. Yeah, I, I have a really hard time with that game because of that. Yeah, that's a interesting game. Um, 
I'm no good at it, but but yeah, Atari's had some really weird control schemes. I mean, I guess every company has, but you know, as Midway, you know, did the spinner joystick thing, and, and then who could forget the control panel for uh, Defender and uh, and um, Stargate? But um, yeah, those are some really weird uh, controls that they have. But you know, it's all part of the. It, well, technically, the trackball is a weird control too. Other companies use the trackball, but uh, Atari was the one I think used it the most. I know Konami used it on a couple of games, and uh, sure. of course there's Reactor. And uh, Capcom by Gottlieb, Bowling. And Capcom Bowling. And, and Simpsons, Simpsons Bowling. bowling. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which, every time we go to Galloping Ghost, my son just goes to town on the Simpsons Bowling game. But, you know, hey, you know, everyone's got their thing. Hey, since so. we're talking about some of the hardware, might as well talk about the actual cabinets, because I found this one interesting. Um, you know how many standalone Roadrunner cabinets were made? I was reading this earlier, but uh, I'm not going to answer. I'll let you answer that. As we say in Chicago here, 757. 757. Yeah. And why was that? Because it's a generic Atari System 1 cabinet, which would swap out with Marble Madness and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and Road Blasters. And rumor has it that uh, when they got the Indiana Jones and the and the Roadrunner... Uh, I, I wouldn't think with uh, Marble Madness they did the same. They were all swapped to Road Blasters because Road Blasters brought in more money, which huh. I don't get because I don't like Road Blasters. Really? Oh, Road Blasters is awesome. I don't like it. But uh, Oh, it's also worth mentioning, um, and this is for you, uh, Vert Vic Viper, this is also a conversion kit for Peter Packrat. Oh, yes, that's right. Peter Packrat was... I which just is a listened. fairly recent addition to Galloping Ghost, by the way, just this year, yeah, I think. I... That I hate that game. Just like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, got, I, I, I played it with, twice and I got so pissed off. Yeah, I, I agree with the guys over at uh, at Ten Pence. I absolutely hate Peter Packrat. That is just a <laughs> horrible, horrible, horrible game. I don't know why Atari ever released it. It's just terrible. Yeah, they but, released that, but not Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, figure that one out. <laughs> but anyway, but that's about really all I need. I have to say about it. I mean, it's. It's a fun game, but it can get horrible, frustrating. Um, oh, yeah. It's just way, way, way too hard. I first played this on the Commodore 64. Even that version of Roadrunner was frustratingly hard, but I still loved it, though. I bought it because, you remember a magazine called Compute? Yes, I do. Well, Compute had a special um, Commodore 64 slash 128 magazine called Compute's Gazette, and nice. uh, Gazette had an article about Roadrunner, and I read the article. I was like, oh, my God, I got to get this. And so I went to Sears at the Louis Joliet Mall. And at what mall? Chris Rock says that every area has two malls, the mall where white people go and the mall where white people used to go. This was the mall where white people went and still go, I think. You mean the Louis Joliet Mall? There's an S in there. The, the name of the explorer was Louis Joliet. But his name was also spelled J-O-L-L-I-E-T, so bleh. But his first name is pronounced Louis. Anyway. Well, I'm whatever right. you say, James. I'm right on this one. So, but, uh, but yeah, I went there and I got the, uh, I forgot who made it for the 64, but they also made Paperboy, which I loved. And by the way, is my mm-hmm. personal favorite rendition of Paperboy is on the Commodore 64. Uh, Gauntlet was with it. And there were two other games. I don't remember what, but there was a whole, that whole hmm. pack. It was, it was like 20 bucks. I was like, oh, give me that thing. I, th- I bought something similar for my Atari ST computer. It was a pack. It had Roadrunner, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Gauntlet. And yes, one Indiana other... Jones and the Temple of Doom was in this one too. Yes, and I and another, and I believe another game which I can't think of what it was off the top of my head. It was a U.S. Gold title. Uh, it was a U.S. Gold pack of. I, 
I want to think the fourth game wasn't an Atari game. Or a Tengen game, I should say, rather. But yes, I had that on the Atari ST. And, um, well, interesting, uh, as long as we're talking about ports, uh, it was only ported uh, on consoles from back then to the Atari 2600 of all. And it was a fairly faithful rendition. The only difference that the 2600 version has from the arcade version is it doesn't have the seed meter. So you could just zip right on by all the seeds. You don't have to eat the seeds like you do in the arcade. I think the seed meter makes this game maybe a little more hard than it should be, especially in the later levels where there's so much, so many seeds, and they're like right next to like landmines and whatever. It just, it gets insane. Not too far into the game, but... And I believe... The end of the classic era, it was ported to the NES by Tengen, which I wanted, I I've not so, seen. Yes. A, yeah, I've not seen a video of that one. The way I understand it, most Tengen titles for the NES were not very highly received. They all consisted of either Atari arcade games or Sega arcade games. Uh, they ported like uh, Fantasy Zone and Space Harrier and Shinobi to the NES, as well as Roadrunner, Indiana Jones, Temple of the Doom, Tetris, which famously got pulled off the market. I think all and, the Tengen games on the NES were pulled off the market. Uh, I don't think so. I know Tetris was because Nint there was a lawsuit that where, te where Nintendo said that they had um, the re home rights to Tetris, but I don't think any of the rest of them did. I, that's uh, that's an interesting question, but I do know that 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 their version of Tetris was. But I didn't know it was on 64. I'm pretty sure it was not on the Atari 8-bits. I think by that time the Atari 8-bits were kind of losing their luster. Was it on the Amiga? I want to think it was on the the Amiga. I don't believe it was. I don't believe it was, or else it probably would have sought it out. That would be weird, because the Amiga... Well, but then again, U.S. Gold is a British company, and if I'm not mistaken, the Atari ST computers were bigger in Europe than they were in the U.S. That, you know, it's weird how a lot of that crap works. How, like, the Atari... The Atari ST computers are bigger overseas than they were here. Same with Amiga. Same with, yeah, the uh, the Sega Master System was bigger in Europe than it was here. It was even bigger in Brazil than it was in Europe. And it's just it's just amazing how that when, when something like that is brought overseas, how you get incompetent marketing. I mean, the Sega Master System was marketed and released in the United States originally by Tonka. Really? The, you know, the, the, the truck the company, truck, the yeah. toy truck company, the metal, you know, the road graders and stuff. They made some fine, fine product back when they could use metal. But Tonka released, the, I, th I believe at the tail end, Sega took over. And you can tell because the artwork is, is better on the later releases than it was on the earlier ones. But it was like too little, too late. And that's sad because I love the Master System. That's a great system. But it's my, probably my second favorite console behind... The 7800. Yeah, I never even knew about the 2600 uh, version until recently, and uh, I just recently acquired a CIB copy, too. It's a fun game. I mean, it is. It is, it is still hard. And I only, knew, I only knew probably within the last two or three years that there was an arcade version of it. Mm -hmm. Do you remember where you first played the arcade version? Actually, no. I don't remember when I first played it. However, I remember the first time I saw it. Oh. And I believe it was I saw it in 1986 at... An arcade in the Contemporary Resort Hotel at Disney, at Disney World. Disney World? Wow. At Disney World. That must have been right when it came out, because the game came out uh, in July of 86. Are you sure on that? I thought it was 85. That's what the copyright date says, but it came okay. out in July of 86. That, that would make sense, too, though, because they, they did seem to have more of the newer games. So that would make sense. Um, 
Now, I, I do believe the first time I played it was the Atari ST port, uh, but I can't remember the first time I actually played the arcade game, but I remember seeing the arcade game at Disney World, and I know I didn't play it there because it was me, my brother, and my dad, and we were just trying to, I think, make our way to get the monorail back to our car or our hotel or something. Uh, no, we were staying at the Contemporary Resort. I think we were heading over oh. toward Polynesian Village to go to a luau. So, yeah, that's when I first saw the Roadrunner arcade game. But, yeah, my first time with the uh, arcade game was at Galloping Ghost a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And all I know is that I must have sucked at it because I've played it several times at Galloping Ghost since, and I don't have a score registered on arcade.com. And I know Doc and Pete always say, hey, just no matter how crappy your score is, go ahead and submit it to us. You know, get get yourself a baseline. But it's like, man, I can't submit this. Now, I am wondering, because I know I took a picture of the screen on... Uh, oh, one thing, one big thing we forgot to mention about this game oh? is um, early on, right when you start, there's a cave in the, the bluff just on the top side of the road. And there will be a like a barricade over it says closed where you lose your last life then you put another one in the game another token in the game another credit when you see that cave again the barricade is gone if you go into the cave you can continue your game from where you left off so it does have a continue feature the reason i brought that up is because i want to think that um uh i have a, uh, a score on Orcade for it. I know I took a picture, but I don't remember if I submitted it because I believe I continued. Uh, just looking that up right now. Oh, I do have a Roadrunner score on here, so I must not have. Um, I must not have continued. Uh, my high score on it is one hundred twenty-six thousand nine fifty. Wow! And you didn't continue? I don't believe I did. This is a fairly nice. high-scoring game if you know how to play it right. I see my Black Widow score on Orcade is uh, ranked number eight. Hmm. I might have to keep playing that. My Black Widow score is 129.75. Oh, that's a game that I love. Oh, we got to talk about that one at some point. Man, all of these games. It's like every time we do a new episode, I keep thinking of another game that we haven't thought about talking about. And we add it to the list. And at some point, we'll get to them. And oh. it's just a matter of trying to pair them up. By the know, way, who has the, who has the top score in Roadrunner? I'll let you do this one. Uh, let's see. You see, folks, it's so much easier when Jimmy G does all the talking mm-hmm. because I can just sit back and do other stuff and just wait for my cue. Oh, by the way, did we mention we are going to be at Video Game Summit in, uh, where the heck is that? Villa Park, is it? I believe so. Yeah, Villa Park, Illinois, on June 17th, Ah, here I we believe. are. High score. No, July, t- July 10th. Yeah, there we go. This high score was performed at Fun Spot. It was by Tom Votava, V-O-T-A-V-A, Votava. And it was 1,249,670. <laughs> I love this. The lowest score on the arcade <laughs> list, number 93, is Pedro Perez with 540 points. That was performed at the same tournament that the uh, world record uh, for arcade has. Wow. So I'm that was a tournament they had score. A certain uh, settings for it. Yeah, it, it very well could have been. Well, then again, I mean, I don't know. It's the same. 
same settings. But holy crap, he's got a lot of re- he's got a lot of high scores though. <laughs> Just yeah, not on so... that game. But um, anyway, um, while we're talking about it, Twin Galaxies, their world record shows Kazuto Kondo. Uh, verified April 8th of this year, 2016, 2,407,700. Wow. There you go. Yeah, almost twice as much as uh, Tom Votava. So, there we are. Um, Where? Wherever you go, there you are. Indeed. This game is a beautiful game. It's very oh, yeah. true. To, I mean, it, it looks like, as I said, it looks like you're playing one of the cartoons, even without the Laserdisc background. It's got one thing we didn't talk about is the music and the sound. This is yeah. I love the music. I mean, it's classic tunes like "Flight of the Bumblebee." It has uh, the Russian dance from uh, the Nutcracker Suite. I'm pretty sure it has "Flight of the Bumblebee" uh, on the scene where uh, Wiley e. Coyote's got the uh, the jetpack helicopter. Oh, double check that. I'm pretty sure that that is "Flight of the Bumblebee." This game's got really good music and some really good sound. And one thing I I just noticed today, I thought I had noticed it in the past, but I realized it today. But when on the levels on the screens where Wiley's got like the the jetpack or the the rocket or the spring, the rocket will be on the screen or the spring will be on the screen or the jetpack. It'll just be there, you know. And then Wiley looks at it and he goes, and then he has like the uh, the light bulb go off and you hear a little sound <laughs> effect indicating yep. that he saw it and got an idea. And I, I just loved that. I mean, this game—this game's got all sorts of awesome little humorous, uh, humorous touches to it, and that's I think what really raises this game uh, in my estimation. Uh, it's really, really, really faithful to the cartoon, and you can tell it was crafted with care for the source material. As we keep going off about that, having been said, do you think it's time we should rate? Let's rate. Let's rate. Now, this could be a perfect game if it wasn't for the insane difficulty. Oh yeah. I have to knock it down and continue for that. So I'm rating Roadrunner a four continues. I was going to rate it four continues, but because of the difficulty. Now, mind you, a difficult game doesn't necessarily warrant always a continue to be knocked off. Like, for example, Defender, spoiler alert, whenever we do get around to talking about Defender, it's going to get a pretty high continue score from me even though i suck at it Mm -hmm. and most people do i think but the thing is i could not i I just can't see myself getting any better at this game with practice i really can't i do go back to it pretty frequently but i always end up giving up but the reason i go back to it is because it's so faithful to the cartoon it's such a well-done game there literally when i've played this on the atari st or have played this in the arcade I, I was always noticing something new. If I was playing it and somebody who'd never played it before or never seen it was watching me, would laugh, you know, when, when something happened in the game. If there was something new in the game that I uh, that I never saw before, I would laugh. I mean, this game does make you laugh. Out of all of the games we've talked about so far, I think this game is one of the few that has just that that one little bit of special something, you know? It's... It's got its own unique charm, and it, it's obviously because of the sport of the sports, the source material. But over and above that, it, it's just you can't help but smile when you play this game, despite the insane difficulty. Oh yeah, and you, you, how many games can you say that about? Uh, four. Well, there you go. Now, honestly, the first time I ever laughed watching playing a video game or watching somebody was Donkey Kong Junior. <laughs> in the scene where uh, Do- where uh, Donkey Kong kicks Mario's butt 
<laughs> in one of the cut screens. That's the first time. And if and if a game makes me laugh, I mean, if a game makes you laugh, you know you're having a good time, you know. And Roadrunner does make me laugh. It really does. It makes me laugh. Yeah. So anyway. so what do you rate it? I rate it three continues. Three. It would easily have been four if not for the insane difficulty that I can't seem to overcome. I can see myself getting better at Defender, but this, I really can't. Roadrunner, not so much. Not so much. It seems to me that a lot of it is basically like memorization, knowing exactly where the the yes. uh, the rocket's going to come out, where the coyote's going to mm-hmm. going to come out, and you have to jump just and the right second. That is something I was looking for when I was playing through it too, to see if things looked like they were in a uh, in the same spot as they were previous times I played it, and it looks like everything is in a set layout. Is I mean the layout of say the landmines, the lemonade, the bird seed, that sort of thing. Now, I think, believe, like, the trucks are random, and then, obviously, there's a way that uh, the uh, coyote moves when he's on the, the rocket or the, you know, the, the, the spring or what have you. But I think the basic layout of where the objects you have to pick up are about the same. Mm. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, just my limited playing it, you know, back and forth, so... But there we are. Uh, do you have anything more you would like to add about uh, Roadrunner? Um, no, in fact. No? Well, that's good, because I don't have anything to add to it either. Good, because it's getting late and I want to go to bed. Yes, well, I understand that. So I think with that, we'll res- we will reveal the uh, the theme, which is oh, obvious. Oh, please do, because I have to add yeah. to the theme. This go is yet it. our second episode with games that are based on cartoons. The previous one was obviously Popeye and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We were at one time toying with teaming The Simpsons and Ninja Turtles in the same episode, but then that would have been a pretty short episode. So... There you go. And and uh, what I'd like to add to the theme is that both Roadrunner and The Simpsons involve the voice of the Roadrunner. Oh? Think about it. Remember when Homer was the voice of Poochie? Mm-hmm. And he met the woman who did the voices of both Itchy and Scratchy. Mm-hmm. And she said, I started out as Roadrunner. Meep. You mean meep, meep? No. They only paid me to say it once. Then they doubled it up on the soundtrack. Cheap bastards. Was that Meep in the Simpsons game? No, but it's in the show. Oh, well, that's different. Yeah, it's different. So, yeah, there we are. But I think we'll reveal the games we'll do for the next episode. Sure. What do you think? Should we do that? Okay. Let's let's reveal. All right. I think we'll talk about Scramble. Ooh. Yeah, Scramble. And, ooh, random point, uh, Frenzy. Scramble and Frenzy. Ooh. So, yeah, there we are. So, once again, this has been a awesome time that we shared with you now i'm not going to drag this out because sean's got to take his doggy out for a walk and he wants to go to bed and he has to do his bedtime things so i'll let him go do that so all right once again from the pie factory logistics center south of morris this is jimmy g and from the uh, pie factory headquarters north of chicago this is the great Piholio, sometimes known as Sean, and we like to thank our sponsors, our Patreon sponsors, Rory Cole, uh, Rory, bleh, Michael, De- Rory Coleman, Michael D'Angelo, uh, Scott Lambert, Nate Lockhart, Andy Ryerson, Keith Sheehan, and Richard Valdez. Thank you all very wow, much. Wow, that's six. That's six or seven. I think it's seven. Did I miss anybody? Wow. <laughs> We got a juggernaut here. So oh, I hate that word so, so much. 
Yeah, okay, by the so. way, magazine. If, if any magazine authors are listening to this, please stop using the words Juggernaut and Zeitgeist, please. Please. Oh, especially Zeitgeist. Don't even yeah. get me started on conspiracy theories. All right. Anyway. All right, so there you go. We'll see all you right. all in a few weeks, and uh, meet us July 1st at the Pixel Blast Arcade, Lyle, Illinois, for their grand opening, which we will be there. Yeah, and uh, we will also be at... Um, Ah, uh, the video game summit. Video game I don't summit. No, off the top of my head, like the eighteenth. Uh, the eighteenth. I believe it's the eighteenth of June. Video game summit is July sixteenth. Oh, July sixteenth. Okay. Wait, July sixteenth. That would make. Oh yeah, yeah. July sixteenth. Yeah, that's right. Why am I thinking the it was June? ODM, July sixteenth? The ODM Expo Center in Villa Park, Illinois. In Villa Park. Yeah. So there right. you go. Bye. Right, bye. Bye. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Addenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. And let's see if there's any names on this list that I know. Oh, ah, James White. Yep. James White, number 15. <laughs> How's he not first? 464980. This, this is his kind of game, really. But Yeah, probably not. Uh, let me see here. Uh, oh, there's Fred Oaks at number 20. Fred Oaks, okay. Brian Keita, I know him. Okay. There's some of these names, I, most of these names I don't recognize. Chris Teeter, we, uh, we had a drink with him at Brixie's. Ah, okay. Uh, Jim Goble at number 39. I think I know him. Uh, Tim Foley. Oh, yeah, number 43. I score higher than Tim Foley. Uh, You never met Mozzie's, did you? Uh, No. Or did I? I don't know. Uh, Do we know Sean Quigley? That name sounds familiar. Yeah, I I know Sean. I'm looking for Duke. He's not on this list. He must not play this game. I I don't think so. Matt Burke, number 92. Yep. Matt Walters, uh, who I believe is in the band Roxy Swain. <laughs> and also, Ave. <coughs> ah, excuse me. Smooth. <coughs> Rosebud. Coached out smooth. Ah. <clears throat> Good cripes. What's the word? Don't you know about the word? Thunderbird. No, everybody knows that the bird is the word. Jeez. Don't you ever listening to don't you ever listen to the Rivingtons? No, but I watch Family Guy. Ah. Oh, you're one of those trashman people. Okay. And now, another episode of Burp Along with Sean. Apologies, Table of Two. Uh, excuse me. Whoa. That's the most intelligent thing you've said all week. Thank you, Red Zappaleo. And the week's still young.